Welcome to the Easy Point Podcast. Today, we have on our very first special guest, Advantage Gambler, author, and podcaster Richard Munchkin. We talk about the similarities between gambling with an edge and churning, and Richard ends up asking me a bunch of questions about his credit card portfolio. So today we have a very special guest to the Easy Point Podcast, and not just because he's the first guest, he's a successful Advantage Gambler, author, producer, writer, and most importantly, podcast host. Welcome, Richard. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. Happy to be here. So I didn't know that you tried to get an advantage through miles and points until relatively recently on your show when it kind of dropped, I think, with one of the episodes with Cartwright. But I guess my, my first question is, how did you start thinking of, you know, miles and points and credit cards as something to game maybe similarly to how you think about gaming the casinos? Well, let me kind of go around the corner to answer that question. I don't know if you've – there's a movie starring Adam Sandler called Punch Drunk Love, and the character is based on a real guy in that movie. The movie is not based on the guy's life, but it's based on a real guy with a real incident, and that is a guy who bought pudding. And there was a guy who there, – there was a promotion where if you bought certain products in the grocery store, you would get airline miles for buying them. And I think it might have been Kraft who was the manufacturer, but I'm not sure. Anyway, this guy discovered that you could buy these six packs of individual puddings and they were incorrectly giving you the points, giving you six times more than they were supposed to because there were six puddings in the pack. (laughs) And the guy realized that it was cheaper to buy the pack than the points. I mean, it was an incredible deal. And there might have been ways this guy, he contacted the airline apparently and said, hey, you guys are making a mistake here. Like you're giving away way too many points on these puddings. And they ignored him. And so he just started buying pudding by the, you know, truckload as much as he could buy. And he would donate the pudding to like food banks and stuff and just amass all the points. And he apparently got to some highest level on the airline where he gets to fly free for life or something. Um, but so my son, when trying to describe to people what professional gamblers do, his stock answer was to say, we buy pudding. Um, <laughs> and, and so that was my first. It, oh, and by the way, this guy has a Wikipedia page about it. So you can read about this pudding incident. Um, oh, OK, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah, so uh, that was my kind of first introduction to really going after airline miles as an advantage play. I don't do too much of it because it seems like a lot of work for not a really high return compared to what you can get at various forms of gambling. But I am mostly retired now. And I'm interested in doing a lot more traveling. So I'm 
I'm kind of an armchair player, I guess you would say. Uh, <laughs> I'm very interested. I'm I have acquired some cards. I am acquiring some points, but I'll tell you the part. And and this is one of the things I think your podcast is going to be great for. The part that I find hardest to navigate is what is the best way to use these points now that I have them? Because it seems to be to me that there is a whole myriad of tricks to making, you know, you could you can make your points worth two or three times what someone else is making them worth by knowing the rest of the tricks. So there's a lot to this game. There's there's the whole acquiring the points, but then there's the side of trying to figure out how to spend the points. Yeah, that was a long-winded answer. I don't know if it, uh, if it answered your question. Well, that, that's a great answer and an awesome story. Uh, now that you've you've said it, I think it's familiar. Maybe you've talked about it on your podcast. I've definitely heard about it once before, but I'm, I'm going to certainly look into it. It. I personally got into you know churning or travel hacking just for myself before kind of starting a service and helping others with it just a little under three years ago, and by that time, a lot of the low-hanging fruit like that was kind of already gone. For, for our audience that isn't familiar with necessarily all of the different opportunities that there used to be in terms of mass accumulation of points, maybe the most well-known example like the pudding is the U.S. Mint, where they wanted to encourage Americans to put $1 uh, coins in circulation. So they allowed you to purchase the coins with a credit card, and there was no shipping or no fee. So think think about that for a second, and you know then if you're an advantage gambler, what how do you how do you approach that if you're just kind of a, a casual travel hacker? What might you do? Maybe you order a few hundred dollars worth of coins and then deposit those coins into the bank in which you pay your credit card statement, and then you just made you know free points besides just the hassle of ordering and bringing the coins. Or you could be like some people and order you know hundred thousand dollars worth of coins across different credit cards every month until they kind of shut it down. Yeah, the banks were not happy to get all those coins being turned in either. No, they were not. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It's funny because I was ordering those coins anyway because there was a a minting flaw in those. These were $1 coins that have pictures of the various presidents on them. And some coins were printed with a flaw where the, the writing was missing from the edge and oh, wow. when they first came out you know people were paying coins anyway just looking for the the misprints yeah so about how many years ago richard did you get into maybe casually getting into miles and points i guess it's only been two or three years yeah yeah maybe maybe only a couple of years yeah so let's talk about the kind of spending of the points versus the accrual, because a lot of people think that the, the main thing with points is like how to get a lot of them. But you're right in identifying that there's, you know, really outstanding value to be had if you know how to use them. And there's right. kind of a, diff- a few different approaches. So the, by far the best way to get value from your points is through flying business and first class on international flights. When you you know get a transferable point currency like uh, you know Amex membership rewards, Chase, City, transfer to an airline, and then use miles instead of cash to buy those tickets. The thing though is like most people ordinarily wouldn't be buying 
or paying cash for business or first class. So a lot of this, you know, CPP or cents per point that you can get per, per your point or per your mile, it, it's, it's a little disingenuous because it's only really that value if you would have other, otherwise paid for it. So for a lot of people, it's more Wait, of like, why do you, why do you say a uh, business or first class? Is it because the, the value of the point goes up because the, those tickets are so overpriced? Uh, well, it's kind of, it's more of just like an arbitrage where like mileage tickets, it's very rare that first class is more than like three times, uh, the price of an economy ticket, but revenue tickets, it will often be, you know, six, seven, eight, ten times as high the cash price of a first class ticket versus an economy ticket. So there's, there's actually a greater value per point or per mile when redeeming for first or business class. Right, but that's only because those those first or business class are so overpriced compared to the economy ticket, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, so it, it, it's, it's a I sense mean, per point way, in terms of like how much, you know, how much value you're getting compared to buying a cash ticket. That's the, kind of the equation most people use. Right, but you also have to take into account. I mean, let's say you have a hundred thousand miles. And and I don't know what flights cost, you know what I mean? But let's say that if you were buying economy tickets, you could buy four of them. But if you were buying first class, you could only buy one of them or something. So yeah. if if you're looking at how many free trips can I make, you may still want to buy the economy ticket just because you get more total trips as opposed to cash. Yeah. Or that's a really good point and something that I always try to emphasize with people. It's like it's easy to get wrapped up into how many cents per point am I getting, but it's really more about uh, like the maybe like the non-monetary value you're getting from this or maybe more accurately, there's a monetary value, but it's pretty individual. So for some people, like especially those with families, like getting a lot of points is great because and you could take your family on a free trip that you otherwise wouldn't have taken. But then, you know, for someone like myself without a family with many miles and points, for me, it's like maybe I try to find flights where it's only 25 to 50 percent more points to fly business class. if It's a really long flight and then use it like that. So it, it's pretty personal. But I, I think for many people that, that do this a lot, it, they would almost never pay cash to fly business. So then, you know, they don't maybe get the full sense per point, like maybe these like crazy five cents per point, six cents per point when you're redeeming on like a, a lucrative carrier to Asia or the Middle East. But you're then kind of rewarding yourself almost for like doing all of this work to accrue the miles. Yeah, no, I yeah. I totally get it. And uh, I mean, although in my case, I, <laughs> because of my wife, it's not like my wife and I can fly first class to Paris because she insists that we bring the kids, you know? Yeah. So now suddenly I've got five people. Now maybe I could go, Hey, my wife and I are going to sit in business class and the kids can stay in back. But, uh, hey, uh but I, I also want to tell you a, a little bit about where I am. I'm kind I'm so sort of new to this that I've acquired some cards that I'm told are really good, but haven't, <laughs> done the research yet to figure out what to do with those cards what they're good for so oh well you're talking to the right you, person <laughs> yeah so let me just tell you i did try to get this the chase sapphire preferred and was not able to um because of the five and two but i did get the american express 
platinum whatever business and I got the SPG card. But now I'm taking a, a big trip to Thailand and Singapore in February, but I, I sort of got these cards too late. So now I have completed the spend, but I've already purchased the tickets. So I guess all whatever points I'm accruing will have to be for whatever the tr- next trip is after that. Mm-hmm. But is there something I should be thinking about doing while I'm on this trip for you know, f- future trips? Yeah, so if, if you're going to be doing a lot of traveling, which it doesn't sound like you're doing a ton of it, but a, a good card to get is like the Amex Personal Platinum because you get 5x membership reward points, which I value, you know, for most people at at least two cents per point. So you're, you're effectively getting 10% plus cash back every time you book a flight. That being said, it now has a $550 annual fee. You get a $250 like airline credit and a uh, $200 in monthly Uber credits. And well, now so I just got uh-huh. the I just got the Amex Platinum business, which yeah, gives it doesn't me... get 5x on flights. Oh, it doesn't. No. So the, the the Amex Personal Platinum again, if you're booking a lot of flights, then it could be a valuable card to include in your wallet. But there's a hefty annual fee, so if you're not booking a lot of flights or you're not getting full value from, let's say, the Uber credits or having lounge access when flying in, you know, flying around the world, then it might not make sense to do. Yeah. So I am getting the lounge access, lounge access already because of the other Amex, which also has a big fee like that. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I, I would say uh, it probably makes sense for you to close your Amex business platinum uh, before the annual fee and then kind of look at your upcoming travel plans then and decide if the Amex Personal Platinum uh, makes sense for you because it has the best multiplier for booking flights. That being said, there's other expenses you incur when traveling when other cards are better. So obviously, But also, the, you're booking uh-huh. flights, but is that true even if you're booking flights and paying for them with miles? No, it's not true. So if you're mainly using your miles, then definitely don't, you know, you're, you're not going to probably break even with the annual fee. Right, okay. I mean, you know, the the taxes that you pay count, but yeah, you don't you don't get like a multiplier on what the cash value would have been <laughs> if you used the miles, at least not yet. Right. So it sounds like maybe there's kind of a cycle where you get these cards because I get some massive amount of points on this Amex card for having spent 10,000 in the first 3 months. Mm-hmm. Um I think I got 100,000 points for that. Yeah, yeah, so, so you got the targeted offer for the business platinum that that's a good Good value. So, <laughs> yeah, so if I keep it for a year, get the points, then cancel it, use the points, then get the new one where now I don't have any points left, so I have to accumulate again and book flights through the Yep. That's that's the name of the game. That's kind of churning at its most basic level, you know, where the way you're kind of accruing the miles isn't so much from your everyday spend, but it's from the opening of new cards to receive bonuses. So, most of my miles that I've earned hasn't been from spending lots of money or manufactured spending. It's been from opening, you know, three to five cards a quarter for the last like two, two, two or so years. Yeah, I, that's a little bit more difficult for me now because we just had this whole Equifax breach. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I've kind of locked down my credit. So every time I want to apply for a new card, I have to go through some 
jump through some hoops. Yeah, I mean, it just depends, you know, there's there's always risks, you know, risks with different options and, you know, more reward when you potentially take a higher higher risk. For me, what, what I've been recommending to many people and for what I'm doing myself is I'm not freezing my credit, but I'm, I'm using Credit Karma to sign up for free, you know, credit monitoring, which allows my credit to stay unfrozen so I can, you know, still apply for new cards. Yeah, again, yeah. It's just like, but I did, you know, I did put a fraud alert on the card, so I'm supposed to get notified if anybody applies for anything. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say doing that and just kind of using like the, the bank's tools of like if someone opens an account using your social or whatever to just give you notification or if uh, uh, to do the credit card karma free monitoring. I think between that, the, the risk that you would kind of unknowingly get a card opened in your name or, you know, a mortgage taken out in your name without knowing about it very soon after would be pretty small. Yeah. Okay, so um, can we talk a little bit about this SPG card and what yeah. what those points are good for? I got yes. some bunch of points for that, but I don't know oh. what they are. Lucky you. So SPG points are definitely the most valuable transferable point currency, and that mainly comes comes from the bonus that you get when transferring uh, twenty thousand miles to different airlines. So when you transfer twenty thousand miles to the SPG airline partners, you get a five thousand mile bonus. So you effectively get a one point a one to one point two five transfer ratio to all these programs that Amex, City, and Chase gets a one to one ratio. Uh, oh, okay. Not to mention the outstanding value they have for redeeming at different SPG kind of aspirational properties, which is why most people value SPG points you know higher than any other point or mile. So and and that so that's for hotel stays where you're paying where you're actually paying for them. Well, I'm right? saying you you can use SBG points to to not pay cash. Oh, at at various Starwood hotels. Exactly. Yeah. So, like in terms of getting that crazy cents per point, SPG is is the best because there'll be properties that are like twenty five hundred dollars a night in the Maldives, and you'll be able to get ten eleven cents per point pretty easily. But again, it's you know, would you ordinarily pay? $2,500 to stay for a night in the Maldives. So, but, but, and also with the airlines, like there's a lot of programs with just really good value for like business and first class compared to economy. I think uh, it's like JAL, uh, Japan Airlines. They have some very good rates on a, what seems like an outstanding business and first class product, but SPG is the only transfer partner. So SPG has a few of these, air, you know, smaller airlines that maybe aren't known to as many Americans that have just really great value on the premium cabins that you couldn't get by transferring any of the other banks points. So SPG points are super solid and the annual fee isn't that high on the, on the personal card. So that's like a great card to use for kind of your, what, what they call your non bonus spent. So anything that you couldn't get two X plus on. So like you wouldn't use it for dining, you wouldn't use it for groceries or gas, but kind of for everything else. Right. Let me ask you a couple other things. Um, mm -hmm. I have found that I really prefer Airbnb to hotels in most cases. Um, I'm with is you there, there yeah. any <laughs> is there any card that is particularly good for using with Airbnb? I'm trying to think. I think it codes it should code as travel. So the thing that will get you the highest multiplier with travel will be the Chase Sapphire Reserve. 
we'll get you 3x on that. I trying to think if there's anything else that compares to that. I don't think so. Again, I can't get the Chase Sapphire Reserve. I was lucky enough to, you know, through switching my banking over to Chase, been able to get pre-approved in branch for a preferred, which gets me 2x on travel. So I would probably use my Chase Sapphire Preferred if I wasn't trying to hit a minimum spend when staying at Airbnbs. But usually, actually, the best way to pay for Airbnbs is a little, uh, is not directly, it's using a portal or buying gift discounted gift cards. So if you think that, you know, you're going to be spending X amount of money on Airbnb over the next year or two, there'll frequently, frequently be times where you can maybe buy Airbnb gift cards at a discount. I've seen it as low as 20% off. And then you can buy it actually through a portal where you get a multiplier on your points by buying it not directly from Airbnb, but through this portal. So when you actually book the Airbnb, you're not getting any additional points, but you could be getting pretty easily five to you know 10% off the gift card itself, plus getting like a three to five X cash back multiplier when purchasing these discounted gift cards. Wow. And and like what what can you give me the name of some of these portals that might have this? There are a bunch of different portals and it really just kind of changes <laughs> based on like the day in terms of what you should do. Usually I, I just follow some of the big travel uh, travel blogger, deal bloggers like this. Like So Dan's Deals is great, Doctor of Credit. If you're trying to do that type of stuff, monitoring that. What, what I really do though is I, I go on something called milesfeed.com. Let me double check that. I think it's .com. Yeah, milesfeed.com and it kind of just aggregates the headlines for like the top stories from the top travel bloggers. So almost every day I'm just kind of looking at all of these headlines, which is where I find it. But I think Doctor of Credit and Dan's deals are the most robust in terms of like good portal deal type stuff. Huh. Okay. So for example, like on Doctor of Credit right now, you know, the newest story is fifty dollar iTunes gift card or e-gift for forty two fifty. So, you know, if you're regularly buying on iTunes Buy a few of these. Right, right. Um, and uh, let me. Do you have any uh, tips for getting the Chase Sapphire preferred if you've been turned down? I mean, should I just wait, wait the two years, or or until it's been two years since I've applied for five and try again? Yeah. It, again, it's. That's a that's a question where I think to answer it really properly requires a lot more information, but I can definitely give you a framework for doing it. First off is something I did and that I recommend to a lot of people that are already over 524 or likely will be soon and want to have a better chance of working with Chase down the road is switch some or all of your banking over to Chase because there's a chance you can get pre-approved for cards in branch that you couldn't find online or just you know, part, by, well, part of yeah. my problem was um, both my wife and I got the United, whatever it was, the uh-huh. and and those are both Chase cards. And because we were signers on each of other's cards, that actually counted as two for yeah. both of us. You had to learn the hard um, way. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a bad lesson to learn. Now, I, we both canceled those cards after one year because I didn't want to pay the annual fee. But, but I should say this. We have an account in Chase with, with quite a substantial balance in it. And oh. I did go into a branch. And I okay. thought that might be able to get me the card, but it didn't. Um, yeah, it's, it sometimes does. It definitely does nothing more often than not. But 
I was probably about like 30, 24 when I opened a new business checking account with Chase. And I actually, a, a part of the reason for the banking over to Chase was there was a really good bonus where basically for opening a new business checking account and uh, maintaining a certain balance, I got like a sign-up bonus of like 300 and then like another $200 just for that balance being maintained a few months later. I forget the exact terms of it. So on that same day when I got that $300, you know, added to the bank account, the guy, I also was like, hey, are there any credit card offers that are there for me in terms of pre-approvals? And he's like, yeah, you're pre-approved now for the Chase Sapphire Preferred for as a personal card. So I applied in branch and actually had to answer some questions uh, over the phone like at, at the banker's desk and then was, was approved then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely ran well in terms of, in terms of that because Chase Sapphire prefer is, is a really great hard card to have and keep arguably for, for most people that travel kind of a medium amount, probably like the best all around card if you just had to have one. Um, I, and let me ask you about this. Uh, Cause it's been a year or maybe it's been two years since Cartwright was on our show and mentioned this, and I want to know if it's still good, and that mm-hmm. is that there's a Hyatt card that if you do some amount of spend, you get two free nights anywhere in the world. Yeah. Is that still is yeah, that still that, an option? I got that I got that card earlier this summer, and I, I haven't redeemed it yet. But yeah, I spent three k in three months, and now I get to stay at any two Hyatt properties. I I was just calling to see the the feasibility of it, uh, potentially staying in like the nicest Chicago, like Hyatt property downtown. And I called like a week in advance and like there was availability on Friday and Saturday night. So definitely do a little online research if you have like a particular aspirational property in mind after getting it. But it seems like they're, they're not that stingy with their availability for the free night certificates. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a chase card, but it's not under the 524. So that, that could be a card worth getting. Again, it just depends, you know, every, there's so many cards, especially if you haven't gotten a million like me that still offer outstanding value. So usually when I work with people, it's more about like basically what are the goals in terms of travel that you want and like maybe more specifically, what's like the next trip you want to take and what's the card that can help you, you know, make as much of that trip free or maybe what's the card that could allow you to do something way more luxurious than you could without it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but cool. I mean, it, it definitely you're definitely much much savvier than the average consumer. Still, still a profitable customer for the banks, but you know, giving giving them a run for their money. I yeah. I mean, I guess I'm a profitable customer to the banks because I keep balances in the accounts. But other than that, I mean, I you know, I I never pay any interest on a credit card and usually yeah. uh, do not want to pay an annual fee. I usually cancel them you know, after the first year. But there's the, there's interchange fees, you know? So depending on like how much you spend on things, like if you're spending $50,000 a year on a credit card, even if you don't pay any interest and maybe you're generating what you value is like two and a half percent cash back on that, they're still making, you know, maybe 1.5 to two-ish percent on all of your swipes for, from the oh, I see. Fees. Right, right. Uh, and then, but the, the main way they make money on this is like the underwriting. So if you're, let's say, a customer that has lots of available credit to them, but you only utilize a small amount of this credit, that allows them to, you know, 
classify you as a lower risk customer and be able to take more risks in other part of the banks. So it, it's very difficult without you know knowing proprietary information uh, that we'll never know like exactly like what a utilization ratio at this amount of credit available to you is worth to these banks. But it, I, I imagine even for many churners that might think of themselves as unprofitable customers with the value of bonuses and maybe the lack of interchange fees they're paying because they're getting so many new cards that maybe they're still even profitable for the banks kind of given the fact that allows them to do more risky things. Ah, yeah, but they like to uh, sort of cry in their in their drinks uh, about players that pay their bills on time every month in full, Yeah, uh, which doesn't surprise yep. me. Everybody complains. Uh, one of my pet peeves, just to be off topic, one of my pet <laughs> peeves is these articles all the time about how bad the sports books got beat because some football team won a game. It was like, give me a, give me a break. Yeah. I would have loved to see the articles of McGregor one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because be, be no, so, those be so articles many... were before the fight about how bad it was going to be if McGregor won, how much they were going to, you know, get hurt. But yeah, I don't know. Just what, as I say, it's one of my pet peeves. Nobody else cares. <laughs> Yeah. So what card should I go after now? There's a question. That that's a good question. So what's have you you've already well, paid the for Hyatt your The Hyatt one The Hyatt uh-huh. one sounds, you know, like definitely it has potential. Yeah. For sure. So it it, it just depends on, you know, what your travel goals are and, you know, how how much these points are going to be valued for you personally. So uh, you have your upcoming trip, all the travel booked, I understand, but like what's what's maybe the trip you have after that that you want to do, if you have that in mind? Well, I'm thinking about a couple of things I'm thinking about. I'd like to I love London, and mm-hmm. so uh, I'd like to maybe make a trip to London and you know Paris and maybe Rome, something like that. Uh, that that's one potential trip. And I also am interested in maybe a Mediterranean cruise. Huh. Greece, okay. Italy, you know that kind of thing. So, so you're flexible, basically, and I, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's th- lots this, of places I want to go. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is the attitude that allows you to really kind of enjoy these points. Like for me, when I've looked at trips before, it's like solely around like how cheaply can I fly there, both with cash or miles, or then maybe now, like more recently, for maybe like a future trip, it's like. Where can I fly that I really want to go in business class, you know, and kind of being open to it that way. So with all those different options, I mean, it's basically just knowing kind of what your point currencies are. And then I can just tell you, you know, some some good options to different cities in like in business class. Again, if, if you're trying to fly with maybe just you and your wife with the whole family, it becomes a little bit more different. Or maybe you decide this time to you're up front and there and back, however you want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also understand – like, here's another thing. I understand there are these uh, – what do they call them? There are these like hidden fares, right, where the the planes are making fuel dumps or some, you know, things like this. And pretty much I'm willing to fly almost anywhere if the price is ridiculously cheap, which I have heard of some of these flights, yeah. you know, like $100 to Europe and back or something. Yeah, um, I, I booked a $225 – flight from uh, New York to London 
uh, last fall, yeah. which allowed me to go on a trip that I just wouldn't have taken otherwise. I got to visit some friends and, you know, do some fun stuff where, you know, if, if during the time period, the revenue fares were like minimum, like $550 round trip for a nonstop flight, but most of them were way higher than that. So there, there's a really nice service that, that I use and I, I recommend to a lot of people called Scotch Cheap Flights. And, Scotch uh, Cheap Flights? Yeah, and I think you now pay like 30 or $40 annually. And he basically just sends you uh, deals departing from whatever airport you want. Most of these, the vast majority of these deals are an economy, but basically they're a combination of mistake fares and just very, very good sales. So depending on, you know, what airports you tick, you'll potentially get a lot of different options. Uh, so you're in Vegas, so you'll put Vegas, but you should probably also put LAX because there's going to be way more deals to, you know, in LA or New York than there is to, you know, the smaller airports. Sure. Sure. And I'll, I'll link to Scott's cheap flights in the show notes for anyone who's interested. So, so Richard, I, I would be remiss if we did not talk about kind of, you know, all the similarities you see between advantage gambling and, and this, and maybe, maybe make a case for, for why some of the, the less casual, the more into it travel hackers should give advantage gambling a try. Well, it's the it's exactly the same mindset, right? It's it's looking for an advantage and then exploiting it. Uh, the the thing that's great about the advantage travel is, as gamblers, we have to deal with variance, which means that I I can find a game where I have an advantage, but it and let's say that it means that if I go play that game, I'm going to in the long run, win $200 per hour playing it. But I might lose, win or lose 10,000 or 20,000 uh, mm -hmm. over the short term. So that's the downside of advantage gambling. But the upside is that you're making $200 an hour. Um, you have to believe in math and trust in math. But, you know, math has been around for thousands of years and it's real and you know, the money will come if you actually have an itch. Now, what I the other thing I would say is I went to one seminar, I, I weekend seminar about this kind of churning and stuff. And the one thing that the people there were not doing is using the comp system in Vegas or, or in any casino town, yeah. because it's exactly the same kind of thinking as the credit card churning. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and I was saying that I went to this seminar for churning and mileage and all that. And the majority of the people were paying for hotel rooms in Las Vegas, which is just obscene. Nobody yeah. should pay for hotel rooms in Las Vegas. So, so ed um, educate us. How do you, how do you not pay for hotel rooms in Las Vegas without gambling tons of money? Okay. So in a nutshell, the idea is that if you gamble, the casinos will return a percentage of your theoretical loss or a percentage of your actual loss. And it's very easy to – oh, so the trick is to make them think you're theoretically losing more than what you actually are losing. And there's a really great book about this called Comp City by Max Rubin. Yeah. But – 
kind of the easiest way to, to approach this is to learn either to play video poker perfectly or blackjack. Learn basic strategy of blackjack perfectly. And those games, if you pick the right games, the right sets of rules, the house advantage is only half of 1%. But they may value that as that you're losing at 1% or 1.5% or sometimes higher in the case of video poker. Now, it's important that you actually learn how to play the game correctly. These are both games that take some skill. So you have to buy a book and actually do a little bit of studying to do it. But for not a lot of play at all, you should be able to generate free rooms like crazy in Las Vegas and and many other gambling cities in the United States. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels to, you know, travel hacking, like optimizing your points and miles and this and that. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and you don't have to be a professional advantage gambler to get a lot of cool stuff. So if you're someone that likes staying in, you know, casino resorts, it won't take you that long to learn how to play video poker and only lose, you know, maximally 1% uh, kind of per bet and get approximately, you know, one and a half, two percent of uh, per bet value on you know rooms and stuff because the the casinos they they have their algorithms in terms of like how profitable it is to just have someone there for another night staying on their property. So they they take more of the average. They're not that sophisticated at using data to really determine exactly how much you're losing. So it's it's an example where. Well, not that that room that they're charging two hundred and fifty dollars a night for, if it sits empty, it you know, it costs them nothing. Well, it costs them a little bit, I guess, to clean it, things like that, to put you in it. Mm -hmm. So to you, you're getting a value of two hundred and fifty dollars to them. It's costing them, you know, 20 or whatever. Yeah. Just Uh, like the banks are, you know, buying miles cents on the dollar and. You know, you're getting $500 worth of miles and the bank paid $200 for it or $300 for it. Right, right. But I think the big thing and the reason why most people shy away from this is the variance. <laughs> you know, for me and you that, you know, are professional gamblers of different different types, I, I play poker professionally. I'm not so much doing it full time right now, but there's, you know, there's been years where it's been the majority of my income. You go through upswings and downswings. Downswings are really, really hard, and I would argue, you know, managing your money and like making the correct decisions and not letting your emotions get to you during these downswings is a much harder skill to develop than you know being a good poker player or being a good blackjack card counter or something. Right, and I'm I'm not advocating that they actually learn to count cards, um, but if you're if you like to go to casino locations and gamble anyway, then. Oh, you know, yeah. why not? No learn? You know, yeah. And 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 here's the thing, like, I mean, the other thing is the quality of the kind of vacation that you want to have. So there there is a certain customer who will come and pay using their credit cards and points and things like that and pay two hundred and fifty dollars a night or higher to stay at the Venetian. But. If you told them, you know what, you could stay at Green Valley Ranch or Red Rock for free and you'd have to play some video poker, but you you could bet small enough that the swings would not be that big. 
and mm-hmm. still earn free rooms in those places. To get the free room at the Venetian or at the Wynn, you're going to have to play much higher and take bigger swings. And, and that's probably not a good strategy for most people. But I don't know. It's something to definitely investigate. And the way to investigate it would be, you know, the book Comp City by Max Rubin. And, you know, there are a number of good books on video poker by my co-host, Bob Dancer. So. Yeah. Well, Richard, would you like to maybe plug that that show that we've alluded to? Oh, yeah. My show is called Gambling with an Edge. And uh, we are a weekly podcast about how to find advantages at gambling. Sometimes that does spill over into credit card churning and things. We've had several guests you know, including yourself, talk about that. But mostly we're talking about how to get advantages at more traditional forms of gambling. So, and, you know, I I like to say under the right conditions, every single game in the casino can be beat. And I'm not talking about lucky numbers or voodoo or any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about hardcore math where you can have a provable edge. And we have covered ways to beat Everything from the lottery scratch-off tickets to Keno to, you know, blackjack, baccarat, craps, roulette. I mean, everything. So, and now most of the time, these opportunities are not there because, as I say, you have to have exactly the right conditions. But, um, you know, but games like poker, blackjack, video poker, those are beatable 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, Definitely inspiring for me. I, I've personally never really done much advantage gambling. I, I was driving across the country earlier this this year, playing a lot of poker, and basically learned how to play video poker profitably enough to you know get all these new player bonuses and one time you know try to exploit a stop loss, uh, not a stop loss, a uh, a loss rebate uh, uh-huh. that the casino was offering. But it it's it's definitely exciting to I think do this type. of type of stuff and the, the math is is very clear and like the the hard part is is not i think well again it depends on the type of you know the way your mind works but i think for a lot of people listening to the show that are already inclined to you know optimizing their miles and points their mind is going to be you know likely work somewhat as an advantage gambler and kind of see the edges and you know un- understand what you have to do to be able to you know eke out a profit and it's just hard to you know actually execute on it sometimes. Yeah. Yep. So Richard, do you have any, any more questions about anything miles and points? If not, I, I want to let you go get, get back to your day. No, I, I think we covered it. I'm sure I'll have questions in the future. Maybe I'll email them to you or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You could always email me about this stuff as long as I can, can ask you uh, if I can beat a, an eight deck shoe every now and then. Stupid. stupid <laughs> sure. Questions. Yeah. okay uh richard thank you so much for your time have a great rest of your day you too this podcast was made possible by easy point a new service that helps both small businesses and consumers formulate a personalized miles and points strategy we work with you to get the best value of your existing credit card portfolio and make recommendations on some high value cards to take your cash back to the next level if the increase in rewards after working with us isn't worth at least twice the fee you paid us you get all your money back Interested in receiving your own EasyPoint plan of attack? Comments for the show? Write in at zach at easypoint.me. Thank you.